0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 55th episode of a bi weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my late night friend tonight, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing at the croak of dusk?
1: Footy, Zach. It's starting to return to normal footy.
0: Ooh. What do you mean by that? Liverpool in first. That's that's. Yeah, Liverpool that in sense. first.
1: Leicester in second. Everton and Villa starting to regress to the mean. Um, yeah, teams teams Leeds, below them coming Le- up. Leeds
0: falling yeah. off real quick. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's starting to look a little bit like we thought it might now. I think after seven games. Uh, indeed, with a couple of, with a couple of exceptions, of course.
0: Indeed, it does. Um, yeah, Leicester and Tottenham getting their. Le- Leicester, Tottenham, and Liverpool all getting their second win on the bounce uh, to fill out the top three. Liverpool, Leicester, Tottenham, 16, 15, and 14 points. Uh, we'll obviously touch upon the details of all those matches on the weekend. Huge win for our Newcastle United against a week ravaged with injuries and suspensions. Everton side, but as we say, a win nonetheless. Um, Other teams on the come up, Southampton breaking the top five, although losing Danny Ings for a substantial period of time. We'll dig into that. Um, Talk about the two Manchester clubs that seemingly can't really get out of their own way at the moment, although Manchester City did get an important win on the weekend uh, against Sheffield United, who look dead and buried as they stand right now. Um, But Adam, a lot to talk about. We'll start with the Friday match, Wolves uh, going up against Crystal Palace. Uh, A nice win for Wolves to continue a a good run of form for them. They're now unbeaten in four matches, three wins in those four goals. uh, This match coming first from uh, debutant Ryan Aitnouri, the 19-year-old French teenager, scoring 20 minutes into his debut for Wolves. A bit of a dream debut. A nice half volley by him. I was pretty impressed with that finish.
1: Yeah, it was a solid finish for him as well. And it came a minute after there there'd been one chalked off at the other end for Crystal Palace with that striker they have on loan from Chelsea. What's his name, Zach?
0: Mishy uh, Mishi Batsuai. I heard a crazy stat. Mm. Batsuai rightly adjudged offside on a, a counterattack. His third game in a row having a goal taken back for offside. Begs the question, is he is he the next poppy Cisse? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think he's as good as Papi Cissé, to be fair, but he's, uh, yeah, that, that's quite the statistic for him. Then congratulations on that. Let's see if he can make it four and four next week. Um, but to your point, great, great goal for for Wolves. Nori scoring in the 18th minute. And then Daniel Podence as well, his first goal of the season. I thought he's looked really, really good. Um, since since really we've seen Diego Jota go out of the team, Potence has really stepped up. I think him and Pedro Neto have been the stars of the season so far. Outside of course him and as who we, we obviously expect to continue to do well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's that's I think a characteristic of a great manager that Nuno is really proving himself to be is being able to, you know, that next man up type mentality, losing Diego Jota, as you said to Liverpool, um, who was probably behind him and as their best player last season. Um and As you said, Pedence, just another Portuguese to fill in that winger role, uh, getting that second goal, and then ending off the game, a horrible, horrible red card challenge by uh, uh, Luka Milivojevic, Um, one of the most obvious straight reds I think I've seen in a while, both studs off the ground right into the ankle of uh, João Matinho, and thank goodness that the, uh, again, Portuguese midfielder was not severely injured in that play.
1: Yeah, it was not a, not a pretty challenge by any means. I think the game was pretty much done and dusted by then anyway, but Milavoyabic, a big player, captain of Crystal Palace, would be tough without him for a couple games now.
0: Yeah, uh, you would have to assume that the three-match band will be upheld as as per its uh, you know typical standing. But a big win for, for Wolves, again, up to fifth in the table now. Uh, excuse me, up to sixth in the table now. Um, and you, you got to, you know, you keep asking the question: How high can wolves go? And in this season that seems somewhat upside down, um, top, you think uh, Europe must be a very realistic dream for them right now? If not, striving for the top four.
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, they've qualified for Europe before, right? So I think, yeah. you know, having having been in the Europa League before, getting back to that would be the bare minimum, I would think, that Wolves are aiming for. I don't think top four is beyond them. I think they've got a good team. they got some goals in them. Defensively, they look really, really good. Great goalkeeper in Rui Patricio, talent all over the field, you know. Wolves have, haven't really skipped a beat. They've lost Jota. They've lost Doherty. But they seem to have kept the heart of that team, you know. Um, and I really feel like Nuno Sparoso-Santo just really builds a good team spirit. I don't know if you saw after the second goal for Wolves, just him and his coaches or six or seven of them just all like celebrating and hugging on the sideline. That's the sort of team spirit that he's been able to build there at Molyneux and have been very impressed with what he's done for the last few seasons now
0: yeah it's it is an impressive project that they've undertaken and uh you know from from being a team that hadn't been in the premier league for a number of years to a team that now seems like they're going to be a premier league mainstay for years to come uh really really cool to see for the the west midlands club so going on to saturday's fixtures we had the the reigning champions liverpool uh playing against west ham and uh, although West Ham uh, did come out the, the losers in that match to a late Diego Jota winner, um, I was pretty impressed by by how they played. They've had a really tough run of fixtures, playing City, Chelsea, Arsenal, and uh, now Liverpool. Um, and still kind of in, in that lower half of the table, but really, really impressed by what David Moyes has done with that team. I think for Now's especially, becoming a really top attacking midfielder, getting a goal in that match, uh, really well-taken goal, perfectly placed out of the reach of um, Allison. Um, Yeah, so I'd be very, very encouraged as a, a West Ham fan right now.
1: Yeah, West Ham playing well. Pablo Fornell specifically now has two goals in two appearances at Anfield in his Hammers career. He's a player, you're right, Zach, that you know has really flattered to deceive since he's come in at West Ham. The talent's always been obvious there. He's like a Lanzini-type player with that obvious talent. But is he going to really deliver on it? And I feel like he's starting to this season. Definitely one of the more impressive players for me based on expectations preseason. Liverpool specifically... Grinding out another win—it's—it's it's not pretty this season. It's really not, but, but it's uninspired fashion back to the top of the league for them. And I want to give a special shout out to new boy for them, Nathaniel Phillips, who came in at center back for the game. Hasn't started in the Premier League before for Liverpool. Twenty-three years old, um, and came in and didn't look out of place. Um, really didn't look out of place in that team. And and obviously they they only conceded the one goal in that game. So coming away with a two-one victory. So. It's it's hard to be critical of Liverpool because they've lost their captain in Virgil Van Dyke. They've not been really playing that well, but they're winning games and they're back to the top. So it's it's an interesting one. What are you making of Liverpool so far this season, Zach?
0: No, I mean I think it's it is kind of somewhat antithetical to the beginning of the season last year for them, where it was you know expecting three four goals a game. They were uh, went unbeaten until until the spring, um, whereas now they've they've already in the third match of the season, suffered their first loss uh, at the hands of, of all people, Aston Villa. And, um, but you're right, they they're kind of putting it back together. And I think, you know, it, it is another characteristic, I would say uh, of a great manager is being able to adjust your game plan and adjust how, you know, your team sets up. And I think that's particularly difficult after how good Liverpool was last year and how kind of, how How kind of clear their identity was, and now it's been thrown into this like upside down state with Van Dyke being out a n- number of injuries in the midfield as well uh but again, like three n- nobody's going to remember that they barely beat West Ham they're only going to remember that they got three points at the end of the year so um, yep. it'll be interesting to see that once they get into a harder run of fixtures with you know th- coming up against teams like Spurs, Leicester, uh, Wolves, like can they hold that back line together? That'll be a big test for me. I think the December uh, fixtures are going to be extremely telling for Liverpool's season.
1: Yep, I think that's fair. It's going to be an interesting season for them. I think uh, another thing you wanted to kind of stop and talk about here was Mo Salah continuing to get some goals here. He's amongst the goals again. Uh, questionable penalty, would you say, Zach?
0: Yeah, there was... I, I said to Adam before the recording tonight. There, were, there were a number of questionable penalties throughout the weekend, and Salaz was one of one of the biggest ones. Absolutely made a meal of the contact uh, on that play. But I mean, you can certainly make the argument, you know, by letter of the law that it is a penalty. We've we've talked a lot about how maybe that's the issue is the letter of the law um, is a bit too kind of lenient to to what is and what is not a penalty, but again, like Moselot continuing the score puts the, the penalty away nicely. And he really does seem to be back to his form from a couple of years ago when he broke the record for uh, goals in the Premier League season.
1: Yep, definitely got his scoring boots on this season. Just to kind of close the loop on Liverpool, not sure if you heard about this, but with Virgil van Dijk obviously being injured by Jordan Pickford a couple of weeks ago, have you heard about the death threats that Pickford has been getting?
0: I did. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's awful. That's awful. No matter who is the person getting the, you know, the threats. Uh, I mean, our feelings for Jordan Pickford aside, you never want to have a man or a person in general fearful for their life. Um, But it it, it certainly speaks to how much football matters in that town. I I would say (laughs) that for sure.
1: A little too far, I think. I I agree. Um, So he's got, he's got bodyguards in front of his house now. It's been quite the story in the press this week. So, Hopefully there'll be, there'll be nothing that comes of that. And we wish obviously Van Dyke the best in, in his recovery. All right. Pivoting on to our second game from Saturday, Chelsea, uh, went to Burnley, Burnley, zero shots on target. <laughs> we get Chelsea with a pretty comfortable three nil win. It wasn't all easy for Chelsea, I would say in this game, but there was an obvious golf in class. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, w- I would say, though, that uh, Ashley Barnes really fluffed his lines on an early opportunity that would have given Burnley a 1-0 lead. Ball played, I mean, as with any Burnley attack ever, ball played over the top from a defender. Uh, Barnes taking a touch, and then credit to, to Mendy and the Chelsea goal coming out really quickly, closing down the space, and uh, Barnes hitting it over, over the crossbar. Uh, from there on, it did seem to be uh, kind of Chelsea's game to lose, and uh, I would say it was impressive that Burnley held for a while, but once um, uh, Hakeem Ziyech got that opening goal, uh, then it was Mason Mount with a corner, putting it right on the head of Kurt Zuma, and a really, really nice piece of play between uh, Timo Werner and Hakeem Ziyech for Werner to get the third. So very, I'd say very impressive for Chelsea. It's really good for them to see their, their summer signings gel together. Uh, one big concern for Chelsea, Christian Pulisic pulling up lame in the pre-match warm-ups, it is apparently a hamstring injury. He's reported to be out for at least a couple weeks, and that is extremely concerning for a, a player as young as Pulisic having a number of soft tissue and muscle injuries. That's the type of thing that you never want to see. As you know, we've seen players come back from broken bones and things like that, but you you always read and you always hear physios say that the hardest things to deal with are those muscle injuries, and um, pretty concerning for Pulisic and. Uh hopefully he can get back to strike soon
1: yeah you got a feel for him he, he finished the last season so strongly he thought he was going to be a major contributor for Chelsea but again non-contact injury on this one in the warm-up and it's it's very concerning if I was Lampard I'd I'd be feeling a little bit worried about this one too I hope that this isn't going to be a precursor to the rest of his career being blighted by injuries and plagued by injuries like this because he's too talented a player not to have out there on the pitch. Um, really the, the future for the U.S. national team, and let's hope he can stay fit. Pivoting over quickly to Burnley. This one's a tough one, so it's a two-parter for you, Zach. How long more do Burnley give Sean Dyche, and is it fair – To make a scapegoat of him, given the lack of investment and how vocal he was about needing it during the summer.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one for sure. I mean, we always joke that Sean Dyche could do anything and and never lose his place at Burnley, but it's been it it does have the feeling of being a bit different from their their normal kind of early season slow starts. Like this does have a very alarming feel to it, especially only three goals in six matches. Um, is it fair to make him a scapegoat? I don't think so you, because you're right. He did scream for investment, but nonetheless, I mean, oh, I don't know. I don't know, Adam, because he has kind of built this team around a type of play that, that he wants. And it seems to be backfiring on him. You know, he was able to make them a mid table side with essentially the exact same lineup last season. And you, you it, it does beg the question, yes, I think reinforcements would have certainly helped them, but, you know, is it, is it, a, is it a situation of you've made your bed and now you need to sleep in it for Sean Dej? Mm-hmm. Ta- I guess yeah. I'll toss the question back your way because, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, of course, like, if he wanted reinforcements and didn't get them, that's not on him, but he has also cemented the place of Burnley as a 4 long ball team, and it, it does seem they're they're just getting found out at this point.
1: Yep. It's starting to become more predictable. I think you're absolutely right. And th- what I was trying to think about is if Burnley went down, like if you were to say Burnley, were going to get relegated right now, who would you want to take from that team? And it's really tough because to me, there's not really a player that stands out that I'd be saying, hey, go after that player if Newcastle stay up. And there there of the three teams that got relegated last season you could identify multiple players on those teams that you'd want if they went down they just seem like a team that's consistently overachieved perhaps due to Sean Dyche and his winning mentality and his desire to accept nothing less than the very best for Burnley and 110% effort i think he's overachieved maybe this is the season he gets found out
0: yeah i mean so i, I would have said maybe at the end of last year a player like Dwight McNeil, who who inspired a little bit last year. This year, not at all. He's played yeah. every minute in all six matches, only has an assist to his name uh, and a yellow card against Newcastle. That's the only thing on the, on the stat sheets he's contributed. I mean, there's really nothing you'd want out of Barnes, Chris Wood. I mean, what, what do those strikers really do for you that other players can't? Maybe as a guy you'd bring off the bench for playing long ball football, but it it does seem like this kind of regressive mentality that there aren't a lot of teams that want to play long ball football besides Mm -hmm. Burnley at this point. And yeah, you you worry that the kind of time has caught up to Sean Dyche and that side. Um, Definitely feel bad for them because what was it four years ago that they finished in the top eight and Mm -hmm. have never been able to reach those heights again, partially due to the lack of investment. But yeah, it's definitely a tough time for them. I I think that, I don't know. it, It, it seems difficult to imagine him getting out of this relegation scrap like he seems to do almost every year.
1: Yeah, I think this game really was indicative of just showing what investment can do for a team in terms of watching Hakeem Zayek 2-2. Two two. Obviously, Timo Werner starting to come good now. The massive outlay of cash that Chelsea had in the summer versus the absolute nothingness that was given to Sean Dyche. And when that happens, you obviously see a gulf in quality, as as was evident between these two teams.
0: Mm -hmm. It was a tough one to watch for any fan of the Clarets. Now, going from the Burnley-Chelsea match to our final match that took place on Saturday, Manchester City going up against a fellow bottom dweller, fellow to Burnley, Sheffield United. And I got to say, you know, City squeaking out that 1-0 win on what was a beautiful strike by Kyle Walker against his boyhood club, club that he came up supporting and then actually played for at 25 matches at the very beginning of his career. But a concerning victory for City. Only being able to get one goal against Sheffield United. Um, I don't know. I'd be very concerned if I was a, a fan of the Sky Blues right now. It doesn't seem like their goals coming from anywhere in that team.
1: Yeah, it's, we talked about this, I think, on the last pod. There's concern that the goals are starting to dry up, but there's clear progress being made on the defensive side of their game. If they've been able to put this defense together last season, would Liverpool have won the league quite so comfortably? I don't think so. Um, but you're right. It, the the goals are really drying up this season, and I don't know what to necessarily attribute to it. We've had an injury to Kevin De Bruyne. De Bruyne is starting to come back now. Um He looked a little bit more impressive, was getting more involved in this game. So hopefully that will come through. I think Sterling is probably the the standout player this season for them from an offensive standpoint. Um, And I've been been really impressed with him. But that's about it. We keep harping on this one. Gabriel Jesus is not the answer. Aguero's in the twilight of his career. They need that marquee signing, I think, in January from a goal-scoring standpoint. They need to invest big in somebody. Uh, I'm not sure who that will be. Remains to be seen. I'm glad you mentioned the kyle Walker part, though. Too, um, he refused to celebrate that goal, like you said. Boyhood Sheffield United fan came up through the academy. There, what a strike that was into the bottom left-hand corner! Zach,
0: I, th- I think at, at times those are. I, I know last week I harped on the the bar down finish um, that um, who was it on West Ham scored to complete that three three comeback against uh, Tottenham, but. At times maybe the the balls did, the, the shots that just stay an inch above the ground. I have no idea how, how a player does that and hits that so clean and um I think the the announcer during that game said it was a wet day and it definitely skipped off the grass, but there's probably no chance that that shot was getting stopped regardless of the the moisture on the ground because just so much pace and so much accuracy. Um, and that's what you can expect it. Like Kyle Walker does that though. Once in a while, he, he gets a lot of criticism for, you know, sometimes kind of spotty defense, but he, he can be an offensive weapon, uh, and showed it in that match.
1: Yep. He's DeAndre Yedlin's eye. He's better than DeAndre Edlin, I would say that. Uh, <laughs> he's a, he, a lot of comparisons there, but you're right. He's definitely better than DeAndre Edlin. Um, I, I wanted to give give a shout-out, actually. I thought Aaron Ramsdale had a decent game this one. Uh, so made some good saves, really kept it tight. And I thought Sheffield United in general, reason to be optimistic with that performance. They had plenty of chances in the game. Ryan Brewster massively over overpaid on that transfer sheffield united did fluffed a late one one one-on-one with ederson and could have rescued a point for them you know starting to see some signs of life in sheffield united so hopefully they can start turning the corner here soon because i really i really hope they don't go down um obviously we like chris wilder a big fan of him here on the pod so
0: yeah, it's 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 a sad state of affairs there. One of three teams, uh, well, the bottom three. None of those teams have recorded a victory in their in their first se- uh, seven matches for West Brom and Sheffield United. Six matches for Burnley. So they are a game behind. I will say one last thing on City. I mean, a a, a win could propel them as high as fourth in the table. So it's not as if you know they're they're lagging severely behind. Everybody at the top, just with how tight the table is right now, only seven matches in. But yeah, I think the big concern for them is the goals. And one thing that City always hung their hat on was their superior goal differential that they were able to kind of leverage as the season went on. Um, And that's something that is quickly becoming a weakness of theirs. Only a plus one goal differential versus Tottenham, who are the league leaders, a plus nine goal differential seven matches so i think if city wants to compete for a title or the top four that's something they're going to need to start doing soon maybe they'll need uh one of those games against southampton or somebody like that where they put nine or ten past them just to beef up the uh beef up the tallies a bit better
1: yep It's it's a good point you look at newcastle in the league newcastle have scored more goals than both arsenal and city right now um pretty crazy to say that, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Callum Wilson and a few of his friends who also play football for Newcastle <laughs> United. Um, we'll,
1: we'll get there, Zach. We'll get
0: there. Yeah. Well, so that was the, the beginning of the weekend fixtures, four matches between uh, Friday and Saturday. We'll take a quick commercial break now and come back, wrap up the Sunday, Monday fixtures. I think a lot more to talk about there for Adam and I. So be back in just a moment. All right, we are back from our first uh, advert break to go over the Sunday and Monday fixtures, Adam. Which one do you want to start with here? A number of exciting matches took place on uh, the 1st of November, just one day ago.
1: Why don't we start with the our beloved Newcastle, Zach? I think there's a decent amount to talk about there, don't you?
0: Massive victory for Newcastle United. Season-altering victory for Newcastle United. Bruce in, everybody back on the Bruce bandwagon. Of course, this is all with the most sarcasm I could possibly drip on it. But nonetheless, Newcastle getting a much-needed two-win victory against then-league leaders Everton. Now, Adam, Everton were a a much weaker side than normal this weekend without James Rodriguez, uh, uh, excuse me, Richarlison, and uh, Lucas Dinier. I would say probably three of their four best players along with Dominic Calvert-Lewin would you say that's about a fair assessment
1: I think that's a fair assessment I think it remains to be seen I think Allen looks like a good good player um come the end of the season we'll know a lot more about him but yeah based on based on previous seasons form and obviously the way that Rodriguez and Calvert-Lewin have started the season I think I think that's a fair statement
0: Well, nonetheless, Newcastle United, not a team to shy away from a weekend side. Now, a big uh, talking point prior to this match starting was the situation with Jordan Pickford. Obviously, uh, on the back of not only the game against Liverpool, but uh, just a number of poor performances this season. Getting benched for Robin Olsen, however very interesting and kind of weird comment made by Carlo Ancelotti before that match saying he was getting benched with no injury, but he expects Jordan Pickford to be in goal for their game against Manchester United. What did you take of that, Adam? Because I thought that was a very puzzling thing to hear a manager say.
1: I think that Ancelotti looked at it and the the word he used was he was resting him um, for the game. I think Ancelotti looked at this game, knew that Sunderland boy in Pickford was coming up to the Northeast has been triggered here before. Obviously there's no fans of the stadium. So I think it's a little bit different, but has been triggered here before obviously has had some poor showings against Newcastle with the three, two loss of St. James. And then the Lejeune show a couple seasons ago. Um, that was, that was fantastic too. I think he brought Robin Olsen in for that reason. I think it was purely tactical. I actually think it was a great bit of coaching for Ancelotti to do it. And you can't really fault Olson for the loss. Um, you know, the penalty was, we'll get there in a few minutes. The penalty was questionable. Um, and you know, he went, he went the wrong way for that one. And then the goal, there wasn't a whole lot he could do about that. A wicked deflection that took it up and spun it off for, uh, excuse me for Callum Wilson to score that one. Um, and he made some good saves. He saved from, uh, from who was that free save from in the second half there? From Longstaff, from Sean Longstaff, from close range. Great save there. So I actually thought that he did pretty good overall. But Pickford in general, you saw his reaction after the after the second Wilson goal, or the first Wilson goal on the penalty, just punching the air in frustration. I'm not surprised. He's a loose cannon, Zach
0: yeah I think that's a really interesting point about him going to his you know his boyhood rival uh in in Newcastle that certainly could have played a part of it i I do think that you're right obviously it was this bit of coaching the whole idea of resting a keeper is is laughable um no keeper needs a rest uh for a, an upcoming match so I think that that everyone saw through that one pretty quickly but mm-hmm. I, I do think it is good for you know him to know that his position as that starting keeper is is not, you know is not safe match after match. Rob Nelson being brought in not as a backup but very much so as a man to compete for that starting position. It will be really interesting, I think, to see if you know Ancelotti kind of creates this revolving door type operation in goal. I, we've seen that um, probably not in a long time, but you know we've seen that before in the Premier League with. Uh, keepers, especially at the end of Petr Cech's career with Chelsea, there were games where he was coming out. Uh, the Arsenal situation over the last few years, we've seen keepers in and out on an almost game-by-game basis at times before uh, Leno kind of solidified his place there. Do you, do you think there's a chance that that happens, that it's not a one-off and, and Robin Olsen gets some more opportunities?
1: I think it's entirely possible, yeah, with the form that he's been in, how error-prone he's been. He's a great shot-stopper. We've always said that, right? Pick, that's what Pickford does best. He throws himself around and, and can definitely get, get some good saves in for you there. But he has those errors in him. He is an error-prone keeper. Um, so I think it'll be very interesting to see how that played out. I, I draw a lot of similarities to the kind of goalkeeping rivalry that you have at Manchester United right now with De Gea, who's also very talented but has some errors in him too. And then waiting in the wings there, you've got Dean Henderson, who's a potential England number one, right? So for me, it was a question of whether or not we'd see that happen first or whether or not we would see Robin Olsen come in first for Pickford. And obviously that's, uh, that's what happened here this Saturday. Switching over to Newcastle for a minute, Uh, credit where credit's due, we've got six and seven now for Callum Wilson. A few penalties in there, but he's taken them well. Shelby was our top goal scorer last season with six for the entire season. Callum Wilson has reached that same tally in seven matches with 31 to spare, if you will. Uh, The difference a goal scorer makes, my friend.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you see it uh, with the penalty, a very intelligent front post run by him. I think it, it was a questionable penalty to be given. I did not see – there was contact uh, between uh, Wilson and the Everton defender, but I thought it was pretty soft. Nonetheless, you know, you, you get the penalty, he puts it away. Um, and then that second goal, just an intelligent run by him. I thought that Ryan Frazier coming off the bench was uh, a breath of fresh air. And you could see he kind of was running against tired legs. And obviously that deflection uh, really looped it, as you said, over Olsen probably the easiest goal that Callum Wilson will ever score, but you have to be in that place to score those goals. That was a huge complaint that we had uh, and us and the rest of Newcastle fans on Joe Linton last summer was, Mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of times where there would be a ball across the six yard box, a, a kind of a reverse pass by a striker up to the penalty mark and a space that you would have always hoped would be occupied by your number nine. And seemingly Joe Linton wasn't really the man kind of drifting into those spaces. And, Callum Wilson, as you said, a clear and natural goal scorer. That's what he does. And I think that our attack centering around him as that, um, you know, playing at times as the, the the sole striker and then at times in kind of more of a 4-3-3, I think it's really suited him well.
1: Yep. A couple, couple of points on that one. I, I agree. Joel Linton wouldn't have been in that position. And Joel Linton hasn't started either of the last two games. Um, that, that hasn't really been brought up too much. But – he was undroppable last season for Newcastle. He started every game no matter what, no matter how poor the form was. Bruce has the luxury now of being able to like leave him out of the site and potentially bring him on, quote-unquote, as an impact sub remains to be seen whether he's even good at that but but there you go uh, on the goal itself on the second goal I think we've talked a lot about Fraser I think he got a little fortunate with the deflection there um, the Fraser to Wilson combo as Gary Lineker said on match of the day where have we seen that before but the best part of that goal for me was the peach of a ball through from inside his own half um, from Jamal Lewis a beautiful yeah. left-footed curler that set Fraser off inside the last defender um, to get him into that position to begin with just a beautiful, beautiful through ball from Lewis.
0: Yeah, that was a, a really nice pass. I think that what, one of the few things that I, I think I, I do have to give Bruce credit for in the last few games is playing pace in front of uh, Jamal Lewis, because that's what really, that's why he made his name at Norwich last season was his ability to kind of play those, uh, that interplay in those transitional balls through the midfield, um, We finally are seeing Mickey Almiron start for multiple games in a row. I would say he was probably man of the match for me, maybe right behind Wilson. Wilson got the two goals, but Almiron was absolutely busting along that entire match. Mm -hmm. He was really playing for his pace or place in the starting 11, and I thought he was fantastic. Really was making intelligent runs. He seems to have put on a little more strength from last season, which I think was one critique a lot of people made was just kind of him getting pushed off the ball was not seeing that, that in this past match. I thought he was excellent. Um, and that that's what opens up Jamal Lewis, is being able to play to a player like Almiron, a player like Frazier later in the game. Uh, and, yeah, we we did see some good combination plays uh, with you know those uh, two incoming players in the summer and then Miggy, who is a bit of a veteran now for the side. But, um, yeah, a very encouraging win. And, again, a, w- a win's a win. It doesn't matter that Everton mm-hmm. was a slightly... Uh, weaker side today. They are on paper probably, you know, still bet, a better's choice to to beat Newcastle. And yeah, I was I was very very pleased with that match. That first half, kind of that that boring Newcastle half that we've seen so many times this season. But if we can try to keep up what we were doing in the second half, there, I, I think that that's you know it's showing Steve Bruce right in front of him what he can do with that team. And the question is, will he will he do it? Will he continue that style of play with that team?
1: Yep, that's some great points there. I think just looking at Newcastle as well, I think one of the things that was a big criticism last season was if Alan St. Maximin didn't play or didn't play well, Newcastle didn't have wins in them. He had a stinker in this game, Zach. It's probably the worst I've seen him play all season, and we still pulled out the victory. So it's great to be able to point to that depth that we now have after the summer signings that we've brought in that we can afford to have. Alan St-Maximin have a bad game and still have enough talent in that team to come away with three points. And ideal day for me, Zach, I got to see Newcastle win against Everton and see Dominic Calvert-Lewin score a goal as well. Yeah, it was beautiful.
0: that is true. That is the perfect day for you. Um, but yeah, a big, much-needed victory for Newcastle. Uh, we are now up to 11th in the table, only three points back of third place and two points back of technically two points back of the Champions League qualifying spot so a good day for Newcastle anything last on the tune before we move on to the other Sunday fixtures
1: yeah just one more thing I wanted to bring up specifically around Carl Darlow great form right now he has the most saves in the Premier League so far not the best record in the Premier League but you know an important save late on in that game my question for you Zach is we're looking at maybe another month or so with Dubrovka on the sidelines and Dubrovka coming back potentially into the team. Does he walk straight back into the number one position at Newcastle or is Carl Darlow done enough to cause a real headache for Steve Bruce when that inevitable fitness returns for, for Dubrovka?
0: I mean, I, I think, you know, from, from watching the matches, you have to, you have to give Darlow a, you know, a fighter's chance at that starting role. He's, He's taken it, and he's been patient too. He, coming over in the same transfer that brought uh, Jamal Sells to Newcastle from Nottingham Forest uh, five years ago, I believe it was. So he's been at the club for a long period of time. Never really had that starting role, uh, and you're right. He, you know, we we can criticize him on his, uh, you know, his play and positioning during corners or set pieces, but as a shot stopper, kind of similar to Jordan Pickford, a uh, phenomenal at what he does. I'd say at the at the end of the match, that deflection that almost floated in really great kind of uh improv by darlow to tip it over i i I think it'll be tough it'll be tough to rationalize Debravska walking right back in uh that being said, he was one of our players of the season last year, so i don't have i I don't know where I stand on that one i I think that you know perhaps Darlow gets the first game or two once uh Dubravka is, is starting to get you know well enough to at least be in the lineup but it's going to be tough. It's always tough with goalkeepers. There's not a lot to rate them on uh, as obviously you can't play two goalkeepers in a game like you would with for example two center midfielders and then kind of play with that.
1: That's my prediction too. I think you said it well. So I think I think Darla retains his place in the team when Dubravka's fit again because they can always point to the fitness of Dubravka and him still trying to come back. And then I think that Darlow makes a mistake, and when he does, Dubrovka comes in, and Dubrovka stays in. Uh, I don't think Darlow will start another game after that unless there's an injury.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you don't hope this is the case as a Newcastle fan, because it is important to have a, a solid backup, as we are seeing this season, but... You'd have to think for, for Carl Darlow in his head, he's at least making the case for a starting role elsewhere if it's not at Newcastle next summer. Um, so credit to him for for kind of stepping up uh, to to do the job so far. But yeah, I think ultimately it would be tough, especially him having signed an extension last summer, uh, Martin Dubravka. It would be very, very tough to see him kept out of the team once he gets back to full fitness.
1: Yep, I agree. All right, let's pivot on to um, probably the game of the day on Sunday, I would say, at least on paper. Arsenal playing at Manchester United. Um, we're expecting some goals in this. We've got some attacking prowess in both teams. Obviously, Rashford in the team. We've got Mason Greenwood playing up front for Manchester United. And then, of course, we've got Lacazette up top with Aubameyang in behind for Arsenal. Expecting him to goal fest just like we did Arsenal against Manchester City, but it's not what we got, was it, Zach?
0: An absolute snoozer is what we got. Only two shots on target apiece for either team, so a pretty disappointing match. Yeah, from a neutrals' perspective, it was. It did almost seem like a match where both teams knew that the other one was was fragile enough to you know to be beaten, but neither of them really wanted to take the risk uh, to to kind of go out there and do it. I was a little disappointed by the way uh, that Mikel Arteta kind of planned that out. I, the Arsenal defense has been one of the best in the league, actually the best in the league so far this season. Um, so I was a bit surprised that he didn't really go out with a kind of chomping at the bit mentality uh, against Manchester United. Uh, but nonetheless, Arsenal getting the the three points on uh, the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang penalty. What did you think about that penalty call, Adam? And I know that, you're, you're pretty biased. You're a pretty heavy anti-Pogba um, fan, but I don't know. Watching that over and over, I didn't really see where a penalty was on that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could definitely make an argument there that that was not a penalty with Hector Bayer, And I think, for, like you said, for me, Pogba... I don't want to get off topic here, but Pogba has consistently underperformed for Manchester United and he's bled that club dry and it, and it makes me sick because he's actually played pretty decently at other clubs. He's been at, I think he actually played a lot better at Juventus than he's ever played at Manchester United and for the French national team too. He's obviously scored in a world cup final. He's got plenty of talent there, but I think the arrogance stinks for me. So, Little bit harshly, a judge to have brought down Bayer in, and then um, a six match streak for Pierre Emerick Aubameyang without scoring is, is broken. That's unheard of for him, for a striker of his quality to not be in and around the top scorers at this point in the season. But another win for, for Arteta and Arsenal, and they're it out. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, Zach. If they want to be contenders, Arsenal have to beat the teams in and around them. And maybe Manchester United won't be the teams in and around them, but Manchester United qualified for the Champions League last season. So this is a top team that they beat away from home where they've historically struggled against Manchester United. So very, very impressed. Was chatting to a friend of mine, Eric, in San Diego earlier on today, and he said, judge Arteta at the end of the season if we make the top four. I think that's still fair, but the new boys are doing the business. Gabriel, man of the match. Thomas Partey comes in, strong performance from him as well. So I think, you know, some, some astute signings in the summer. And they're doing a lot of the right things right now. Arsenal, I'd be pretty excited to be an Arsenal fan.
0: Certainly. And the question with Arsenal, similar to Manchester City, is can you get more goal production out of these players that you've relied on for a quite significant period of time as Arsenal only nine goals in seven matches to start this season. But as you mentioned, you have to grind out. Uh, they ended a, a two-wit uh, two match uh, winless streak so that's a big one and it's a big one against manchester united for manchester united though down to 15th in the table they have a, a minus four goal differential have scored nine conceded 13 now they do have a game at hand so as as we talked about table's still tight but a, a victory right now would pretty much only put them up to 13th or, or 12th perhaps so it's It's been interesting with Manchester United you know, because they're flying in the Champions League, beating RB Leipzig 5-0 last week, um, but yet still seemingly can't put it together uh, in the Premier League. What what do you think it is, Adam?
1: I, I'm not sure. I, I really don't know how much longer Saskia is going to have in this role. We've said it before, we've called it before, and it hasn't happened. But I mean... Looking at Newcastle, Newcastle have two losses on the season, and they're both against teams lower in the Premier League than they are right now. So Manchester United and Brighton. And I think, you know, Saskia has now lost. We'll give this stat credit to Elijah. Soskiar has now lost as many home games at Old Trafford as Steve Bruce has lost at St. James's Park for Newcastle. That is appalling for a team of Manchester United stature. Appalling.
0: Yeah, it's... A, it's... I mean, you'd have to think if they weren't in Europe, his job would be pretty much gone at this point. Um, But the fact that they are performing extremely well, I mean, Marcus Rashford is pretty much carrying that team on his back at the moment as he is the country of England, um, to to get my one very, very faint political statement of the podcast. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it, it just seems like, I feel like we kind of talked about this a little bit at the end of last season that they, they have all this attacking talent. So the question becomes, can they kind of create a system to maximize all those? And that's what you're, you're seeing, for example, Frank Lampard do with Chelsea is a a very similar team, very top heavy. um, But Lampard seemingly getting the best out of most of those players. And Solskjaer not doing the same. It was a very uninspired performance, very timid, very tepid by Manchester United. Mm -hmm. And we'll, and we'll see, we'll see, you know, they're they're now only two wins in their last five games. And that, that's, you know, be it as it may, but that's not what you would expect from a team as storied as Manchester United. Perhaps the, the most storied club in English football.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. They're they're in trouble right now, and they need to turn it around real quick. Indeed.
0: Indeed. All right, so uh, from, from the marquee matchup of the weekend to a matchup of uh, two teams that seemingly have overperformed so far this season, Southampton Villa. Uh, who would have thought this was the goal fest? This was the the <laughs> thrilling match of the weekend. But what a game! Southampton going up four 0 Two phenomenal free kicks by James Ward-Press. Kind of the exact same free kick. So I, I was asking a few questions of Martinez on that second one. You you have to think he'll probably put it in the exact same place he put the first one, and <laughs> indeed he did. Um, and then an absolute banger by uh, Danny Ings for for their fourth goal, so Southampton were cruising going into the final few minutes of that match, and then everything almost fell apart for them, uh, obviously they, they came out with the victory, but a bit of a scare that Villa gave them, three goals towards the end of that match, a penalty from Ollie Watkins, a beautiful strike by Jack Grealish, you could mm-hmm. say the Southampton keeper maybe a bit, maybe a bit unsighted there, um, but yeah, what a game.
1: Yeah, great game. I think, in all honesty, the four-three score line makes it sound a little bit closer than it was. Villa with a late surge. You know that the, the last two goals were ninety plus two and ninety plus seven. So I don't think it was really as close as it looks on paper. But I, again, you, you you talk you stopped on the talking point that I really wanted to focus on here. James Ward Prowse. I think that man of the match performance from him two goals direct from free kicks we play them on friday please god don't give away free kicks in that position because i mean he's lethal from there and he actually crossed the ball in for the opening goal as well so two direct free kick goals and a set piece cross for a goal to put southampton 1-0 up incredible he's only got two caps for england this year for total do you think that james ward prouse could potentially make the england squad for the euros
0: Perhaps. I think that James Ward-Press, though, to to kind of play devil's advocate, could fall victim to the the same thing that happens to Newcastle players. The the small market curse, if you will, um, that Gareth Southgate seems to be so caught up on. Uh, And you see that especially with the center of midfield. I think center of midfield is the hardest place to break into the England lineup at the moment uh, with players like Eric Dyer, who somehow can never get dropped, Grealish, Mason Mount um Deli Alley, who's kind of always in and out of that team so I, I I think he deserves it like if I was an England manager would I put James Ward Press somewhere in my lineup absolutely but do I trust Southgate to make that decision absolutely not uh but you know a lifelong Southampton player and he is one of the few players who have shined for Southampton and not gotten sold to Liverpool or another club in the Premier League so Yeah, it'll be interesting. I would say, though, Adam, you and I both kind of know what the the dark spot on this game was. It was the Danny Yang's injury at the very end of the game, which was kind of the saddest part of it all. The game was almost concluded. Seemed like it was a lot more serious than it now appears to be. A quote from The Athletic, uh, Daniel Sheldon reporting this morning that Southampton striker Danny Ings' initial scan results do not show any signs of serious damage to his left knee. I know there were a lot of fears of torn ACL pretty much immediately, so really good to hear. Potentially he could be back for Euros next summer, although I I would say that, you know, striker is not the weakest spot for England at the moment, but for Southampton, they they pretty much live and die by James Ward-Press and Danny Ings.
1: Yeah, yeah, some great points there. They, they actually haven't ruled him out for the Newcastle game this Sunday, pe- oh, sorry, this Friday, pending further scans. So, I mean, that's got to give you some hope as a Southampton fan there. I'd be surprised if he doesn't miss at least a couple of weeks there. He's got a history of cruciate ligament problems, and if it's not cruciate ligament, I think everybody would please to see him playing in the Premier League week in, week out, but I, I can't see him starting this weekend. 34 goals and 69 appearances for Southampton for Ings. Goal every other game pretty much, and that, that's actually a, a big favor for Newcastle. Steve Bruce seems to get the rub of the green, doesn't he? He seems to get these right times to play teams, and a Southampton team without Ings, to your point, is a much weaker team.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much the attack goes through Che Adams, who – has had a, a good start of this season, but only one primarily goal in his career going into this season. So certainly not, you know, the, the prolific striker that Ings was Ings only one goal back of the golden boot last season, which is just absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Southampton now up to fifth in the table. So for them, I, you know, obviously you could say they're probably punching a bit above their weight, but if they can get Ings back somewhat soon and, and kind of, Stay in and around that that top half, I think that would be fantastic, trying to challenge that uh that record that was set in twenty uh twelve where they finished eighth, their highest finish in Premier league history Villa in this match though I, I think maybe important to touch on them. They definitely seem to be regressing to the mean hats off to elijah newsome again <laughs> uh, you, you, you you almost blew this one, you got cocky on this one uh telling me that the villa has you know thrown it all away and then they they almost came back from four and down but the defense for um, and Villa just shipping in goals at the moment. Only nine on the year, but uh, for excuse me, eight in their last two matches. Not looking too good right now.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Villa have plenty of goals in them this season, which they didn't have last year. But they seem to have similar defensive problems based on the last two games against Leeds and Southampton. Seven goals conceded in two games. Not looking Seven, great. Excuse me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. Ah, uh, is the fairy tale over? Probably. Um, do they have anything to worry about from a relegation standpoint? Probably not.
0: That'd be great. I think that is a good way of putting it. Um, so yeah, exciting match there. Uh, the other match that took place on Sunday was the uh, Tottenham, Brighton, and Hove Albion match. A uh, bit of an interesting one. It seemed like uh, you know, with how how kind of hot the Tottenham attack is right now a, a prime opportunity to really just go at Brighton but Jose Mourinho just going back to classic Jose Mourinho football in that first half playing extremely defensive football against a team that uh has only scored uh well actually Brighton scored 11 goals so far this season so Brighton a bit of an attacking threat but uh A a weird one for Spurs, Harry Kane getting a a penalty in that match, another questionable penalty to add to the list of questionable penalties uh, (laughs) this weekend, putting it away. And then the Welsh hero, he has come home, Adam. Gareth Bale scoring the winner for Spurs. What was a really nice header. Uh, It was a fantastic header.
1: Yep, let me me enjoy this moment and savor it for for a second. Our Lord and Savior, Sir Gareth Bale, grabs the winner with a goal made in Madrid. Reguilon with the cross, sticking it to Zidane. Gareth Bale, Spurs number nine, heads it past the hapless keeper for the win. And it's the first goal in nine years that he scored for Spurs. So your dad must have been loving this one. I'm actually kind of loving Spurs right now as well, because not only do they have Gareth Bale on loan and Ben Davis, who's been there for a few years, they've bought Joe Roden and he made his debut against Burnley in midweek. Um, the week before so I'm just like it's almost like Wales Junior they've taken the mantle from Bournemouth this season
0: yeah Spurs now up to third in the table the best goal differential the most goals scored with a plus nine and 18 goals scored in seven matches they are unbeaten in their last five two wins on the bounce Uh, yeah I mean I I think that I think that Spurs really really need to be shooting for the stars this season I think that with the injury to Van Dyke you know with the poor play from united manchester united the uh you know issue with scoring with manchester city i think this is the spurs opportunity right now and i think they need to be going after it a lot of great summer moves Regulon, bale Doherty. Uh, you know they Lo Celso has really fit into that team well um obviously son and kane are the the duo of the world right now um yeah i i think i think the sky's the limit for tottenham hotspur this domestic year
1: yeah, they've got some really good strength and depth. And Duckerty's not even starting right now. It's been it's been they've got Eric Dyer starting at center back. I don't get it, but but whatever. They, I mean they, they they won this game. Switching over to Brighton for a second. The goal the goal they scored was a nice goal, but it looked like there was a foul in the build up to Lamptey's goal. And then just in general, I feel like they've dipped in form. They've had a tough start fixture wise to the to the season. Obviously the only win they've picked up is against Newcastle. But their next match, Zach, they got Burnley up next at home. It's going to be a big, big game for them. They need to get three points from that.
0: Yes, absolutely. And the one thing with Brighton is, you know, typically a team that is fairly sound at the back. They've conceded 14 in seven matches. So on a, a two goals allowed per match, that's not really going to do it for Graham Potter side. And he's going to have to kind of figure that out if they don't want to get sucked into a relegation battle yeah, this game against Burnley, if Burnley is able to pick up even a point, uh, let alone three, uh, that would spell uh, a lot of issues for Brighton. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, they're a team that, you know, you can always count on to, to get a, a cheeky win against a top side once in a while. I think they've, I, I believe they've beaten a, a top four side, at least one top four side, each of the last three seasons. Um, so, you know, it's there for them, but it, it is kind of a matter of you know, can they hang with the bigger clubs and weren't able to do so against Spurs?
1: Yep, no Mopey in that game. No Lewis Dunk. He'll be back from suspension soon. So two big players for them. And they still hung in there through the end of the game with Spurs and could have nicked something from it. So I think they'll be all right, but they need to start getting some wins on the board soon, soon to your point. Um, wrapping up the weekend, two games today. We, uh, we had two games on the Monday today as we record. Um, Fulham picking up a win, 2-0 against West Brom relegation six-pointer even this early in the season beautiful screamer of a goal from their right back Ola Aina in that one and then the other game that today was a 4-1 win for Leicester at Ellen Road big win for them against a strong Leeds team who had two-thirds possession in that game anything you want to kind of pick out of those two games for worth mentioning there Zach?
0: I'd say that for for Leicester, um, you know, suffering two losses in succession in their fourth and fifth match of the season, you know, the question was, are are they going to kind of regress a little bit now that now they have those two victories in a row? I, I thought I was particularly impressed with your Tillemans in this game. He got a brace. Um, I think Leeds were kind of the architect of their own demise in that one. They were very, very poor defensively. Uh, both of Tielemann's goals, Vardy's goal, and uh, Harrison Barnes' goal, which was the first one in the first two minutes of the match. Uh, now, yeah, I, I think that that Leeds, the high-flying Leeds team is kind of, a, a, in a way, being found out right now. They've conceded 13 goals uh, along with the 13 they've scored, so kind of exactly what we expected, scoring a lot giving up a lot. But it's not really going to cut it when you have teams that can carve you open like Leicester showed today.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, Leeds, if you look at their fixtures so far this season, they've already played Liverpool city wolves, Leicester in their seven games so far, and they're doing pretty well, all things considered. I think Leeds will be fine on the Leicester front. This begs the question, who are the real Leicester City, Zach? Are they the team that beat City 5-2 and leads 4-1? Or are they the team that lost 3-0 and 1-0 at home to West Ham and Villa, respectively? Like, they're very, very tough to call right now as far as what you're going to get from that team.
0: Certainly. There's definitely a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type situation going on uh, with with Leicester. I... I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of what we saw last season, right? Where there, there would be big blips in the radar until it all did fall apart in the, in the second half of the season uh, for Lester. I mean, it, it still really does run through Jamie Vardy, which more so than anything else to me just speaks on that incredible longevity that he, that man has had in his career. Um, and I think that, you know, when, when Telemans is on, when Barnes is on, but I think, yeah, uh, Justin Jackson's been really good for them this season at right back, filling in for Chilwell, who left to go to Chelsea. So I think the talent is certainly there, but you're right. it's Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe they just need to stay switched on. and um, I don't know. It, it is interesting to see because the, the, the talent is clearly there, right? And they, they've built a system for that team to thrive, um, you know, a solid defense, a solid attack. But as with – as, as what you've said with Arsenal, if you're not going to beat the bigger teams or even the mid-level sides, you're, you're not going to be in the top four at the end of the season.
1: Yep, that's fair. Um, early shout from me, Newcastle, loan signing in January in the transfer window, Iose Perez comes back to oh. get some game time. Oh my gosh, that would be... You're, you'd love that wow. one.
0: Wow, that would make Bale going back to, to Tottenham pale in comparison. And the, <laughs> the, the prodigal, the son, prodigal returns. son returns
1: to Tyneside would be pretty amazing. The, uh,
0: the, the true local hero. <laughs>
1: exactly. Speaking of local heroes, um, former Newcastle player Scotty Parker, now managing Fulham, picked up their first win in that relegation six-pointer. Two assists and a man-of-the-match performance from Alexander Mitrovic in that one. Um, you mentioned it earlier in the pod. Only West Brom, Sheffield United, and Burnley remain winless, and they comprise the bottom three. So, um, lifts them out of the bottom three up into 17th with that win. Fulham. Credit to Scotty Parker. That's a big win for them.
0: Massive win. Yeah. Mitrovic getting those two assists, which is good for him after he missed an absolute sitter to begin that match. So, uh, yeah, I mean, wh- whatever does it for them, it, it will be interesting to see, um, you know, which of the newly promoted sides go down, if any. Um, As you said, probably not Leeds, but fulham West Brom certainly will be in the thick of things.
1: Yep, I think that's absolutely right. Okay, that wraps up the fixtures from this weekend. Before we go to commercial break, just a quick um, highlight of the top scorers in the Premier League right now. Spoiler alert, they do not include Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. They do include a Newcastle player, Zach. So at the top of that list with eight goals, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Hyung-Min Son. Son, who actually a rare game where he was not on the score sheet this weekend. Uh, In second spot there with seven goals, Mo Salah and Jamie Vardy, pretty much the names we'd expect to be in there. And then with six goals for the season, Harry Kane, and then a couple of pretenders to the throne there, Callum Wilson and Patrick Bamford for Leeds. Bamford who missed a good chance in the game today against Leicester early doors. So, um, yeah. So pretty, pretty standard names in there and some pretty unexpected ones in there too. So nice to see um, Callum Wilson specifically in there performing for Newcastle.
0: Yeah. Well, before we move on then, you know, what's the ceiling for Callum Wilson goal-wise this season? Because I think that, you know, it would be tough to expect him to keep up the clip that he's been producing at so far. Um, and Newcastle has had a number of games against those kind of lower sides. Um, but I don't know, six goals through seven matches, I, I think. Now, could he get to, do you think, 15, 16?
1: I don't know that that's a fair statement at all. First that you made about him having games against some of the lower sides. He's played games against Spurs, Wolves, Everton, Manchester United. Um that's that's four games right there against top half teams. Not, not excuse position. me, I meant to
0: say. For, excuse me, that yeah, that was my bad. I meant to say games against lower sides coming up. So he has put up the goals against the top I sides. See. Do you think he can continue it against the teams that quote unquote he should be scoring against?
1: Yeah, I think he can. In answer to your question, what's the ceiling for Callum Wilson? I think he's a fifteen to twenty goals a season goal scorer for Newcastle, especially when he is the primary penalty kick taker. And all of a sudden, we seem to be getting penalties every game, which is unheard of in seasons gone by. We've historically had a problem there. It's so nice to have that level of confidence that you don't have a, a Shelby or a Ritchie coming up who you know has got a penalty missing them. Watch, he'll miss a penalty now against Southampton after I call that. But you know what I mean? It's, it's just good to have that confidence in a quality striker that he's going to stroke it into the net like a Harry Kane does.
0: Yeah, it, he does seem to be really confident walking up. Um, and, yeah, the, you know, the, the team does really revolve around him right now, which is exciting to see um, with the, the other quality, pieces of quality that we have in the Newcastle side. So, yeah, long may his run-up, the uh, top scorer chart continue. Um, and so, yeah, I will take a commercial break and then, you know, wrap it up with the, the typical sections, armchair pundits, 10 and 90, talk about the matches we're looking forward for, uh, to the upcoming weekend. So yeah, stay locked in. All right. So we're back with the ultimate, uh, section of, uh, the false nines today. Uh, Adam, starting off with armchair punnets, we're going to give our hot takes for this episode. Would you like to go first or to go second this week?
1: Uh, I'll go second on this one. Why don't you start us off?
0: Okay. All right. So, Adam, my prediction today is that neither Manchester team makes the Champions League by finishing in the top four this season.
1: Hmm. Okay. Say more. Okay. I just
0: think there are four teams better than those two teams this year. It's not really a statistical analysis. I think Manchester United would be hard pressed to make the top 4. Uh City certainly still has the shot. I they have so much quality in that team and as you said before when De Bruyne comes back that that team is significantly changed. But looking at the you know the top of the table right now, I think that Liverpool, you know, there is the question about Van Dijk, but if they can keep producing, I think that Tottenham I would definitely put money on Tottenham finishing in the top four this season. Chelsea is on the up right now. Uh, And then maybe the fourth, I would say potentially Wolves rounding out the top four. I think that Wolves have proved that they can beat anybody on their day. Um, Arsenal, you know, sneaking up a little bit. They're somewhat inconsistent, but have the quality in that team. But yeah, I I just don't think that this season when we look at all the teams when we look at kind of what's missing in city and the goal scoring uh when we look at manchester united uh and their inability to defend it seems like in the Premier league and really put goals past teams uh, even when it seems like they should i just i'm not confident about either of those sides
1: yep i think that's fair you your i think your initial statement was neither of them will Qualify for the Champions League by their league placement. Is that to say that you think that they've got a chance of doing something in the Champions League this year and actually getting into the Champions League by winning the trophy?
0: Potentially, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, as mentioned before, Manchester United has been flying to start their Champions League campaign. Uh, City is, is kind of squeaking out those victories as well. So, you know, anything can happen. I think that Bayern Munich is definitely still the favorite in the in the Champions League, but you know, stranger things have happened. Real Madrid is playing like they want to get knocked out in the group stages, so I have no idea what's going on there. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I I think that we've seen City fail at the final step, time in and time out. But I, I think that it would be interesting to see this season progress and see, you know, if if those two teams if the gap widens more and more between them and the top four, do they just essentially shove all the chips to the middle of the table and the champions? Like,
1: yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that coming true. You make some, some good points there. There's plenty of good talent and it's, it's an open field. I would say this season it's fair. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. All right. What about you? What are what are you going to hit me with today?
1: All right. So my armchair pundits and I think my 10 and 90 themes are going to be around two different players, Not as well known, I think, in the Premier League by by the casual fan. But two people I think it's worth shining a light on. I'll start with armchair pundits. Pedro Neto for Wolves. Pedro Neto will impress enough for Wolves this season that he will make his full Portuguese debut before the Euros and be part of the European squad for Portugal during the
0: Euros. I like that. I like that.
1: Yep. A couple of stats to back it up. Wolves have offloaded Diogo Jota and um, Traore isn't starting every game. Neto has actually elevated his game and is benefiting, I think, from being a regular in the starting lineup. Um, He plays as number seven for club and he plays for his country for under-21s as number seven. Um, Any other famous number sevens that play for for Portugal that, that you can think of?
0: There's one that seems to be on the tip of my tongue <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah I, th- I think that number seven is a bit is of a, is a, a, a prestigious role to step into in the
1: <laughs> but you know he's at, at 20 years old he's got a lot of time to improve i think he has improved greatly under nuno Espiro santos the ideal coach you'd want to help you develop your game could be the pretender to the throne, as far as Ronaldo is concerned, Ronaldo in the twilight of his career. And I think one of the, the biggest things for me about Pedro Neto is he has two really great feet. Um, primarily left-footed, but has a good right foot as well, has scored with both feet. And that left-foot volley against West Ham back in June after Project Restart, I'm still watching that one. It's, to me, it's a, it was a shock that it didn't make one of the goals of the season contenders. I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful goal.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. Um yeah, that Portuguese team is just brimming with talent. You saw Joao jo Felix scoring a brace in the Atletico Madrid win over uh uh Salzburg Red Bull Salzburg in their last Champions League match. That yeah, they oh man, Port- Portugal is is where it's at right now. Um
1: on most of think, them play for Wolves.
0: <laughs> and most I was going to say do you think what, do you think Nuno would trade the Wolves job for the Portuguese job? You'd have a, to think so, In right? a
1: heartbeat. Yeah. In yeah. a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, oh man, that would be
1: wild. That would yeah. be wild. Um, just think about how far Wolves have come, though. Like, about 10 years ago, they had Mick McCarthy as their manager. Who looked uh, like a wolf. In, yeah. <laughs> in their
0: defense, he did look like a wolf. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and, you know, they were, they were playing in the championship, and now look at them. They're just, you know. I'd say they 'll be European regulars here uh, if they can keep Nuno So Santo over the next few years.
0: I like that, and I like that Pedro Neto um, that that call on him. yeah, he's been one of the most impressive youngsters in the Premier League in this in this early season, so yeah, I like that a lot.
1: Well, then I'll take ten and ninety first, then I'll transition into my second impressive youngster, perhaps less known than Pedro Neto.:
0: Sure. Um, go I for mentioned it.
1: him earlier in the pod, Liverpool debutante. Nathaniel Phillips. Zach, I want to know how much you know about Nathaniel Phillips for 10 and 9 this
0: week. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Let's get into a deep Nathaniel Phillips chat. All right. Here we go.
1: Nathaniel Phillips spent the season on loan with a German, um, I guess it's not the Bundesliga. I think they call it the 2 Bundesliga. They do. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. But they got promoted in second place from the 2 Bundesliga. He played many games for them and was part of the successful defense that got them promoted who are that current bundesliga team that nathaniel phillips played for last season no. uh, i'll give you oh. three
0: guesses do you want to give me any any hints as to the team name
1: i've given you so many hints yeah, not really
0: um <laughs> i have no idea I, I i have not followed the uh I've not followed the uh, the German football league too well in the past couple of years.
1: <laughs> uh, it's VFB Stuttgart.
0: Oh really? Yep. Damn. I thought they were still in the in the Bundesliga. I didn't realize they were in the, the champion or the, the second division last year.
1: Okay. I have relegated. heard of that team. Yep, there you go. They got relegated and have bounced back successfully. So good for them. Thanks to Nathaniel Phillips. All right. According to Jurgen Klopp, question two, how many championship teams showed an interest in signing Phillips on loan during the summer transfer window. 15. It's a good guess. It's 12. So he was much, much coveted. And for one reason or another, it did not work out. Ended up staying at Liverpool. Now here he is starting a Premier League game for them. All right. Nathaniel Phillips was described as a monster in the air by Klopp after Liverpool's win over West Ham. So obviously dominating with his head in the air. How tall is Nathaniel Phillips, Zach? Six foot three. Is absolutely correct. Well done. There you go. Nice. Yep. All right. Phillips came through the youth academy at which former Premier League team? They're now in League Two, who his father, Jimmy, also played for in the 80s and 90s.
0: Thank goodness you gave me the the Jimmy Phillips clue, or else I would have been <laughs> adrift with this one, Adam. Uh, Lots what of clues league, there. What former Premier League side currently in League 2 mm-hmm. There can't be too many of those. Um
1: hmm. oh, man. I'll give you a, I'll give you another clue. This this yeah, team give me, give has gone through, has gone through a lot of administration problems in the last few seasons.
0: Oh, um, no, um, 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 um. Uh, pressing. No, I know. Yeah. Is it? It's not. Um. It's not Millwall, is it?
1: They're not, it's not. in League Two. Millwall are in the Championship. Who, who, who went into
0: well, the Who went into relegate Or who went into administration recently? Not Blackburn. Blackburn didn't. No.
1: Sheff, Sheffield Wednesday did. They started this season in the Championship on a deficit, and then um last season. I'm trying to think who else got relegated because of that. Uh Wigan did. Wigan Athletic went down last season. Oh Wigan, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're in League One. They're in League One now. So the, the answer what is, is this? Bolton Wanderers.
0: Oh, Bolton. I was thinking I I knew it was I was thinking Bury because I knew Bury folded.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: they don't exist anymore. So I was like it can't be them. Okay, Bury Bolton. That's uh, I was it was it was there. It was somewhere yeah. there.
1: Bolton had a former England international and Michael Ricketts back in the days uh, back in the year 2000. So um, good, good player. All right. Last question on Nathaniel Phillips for you, Zach, you've done better than I thought you would to be, to be fair, which former former Liverpool legend as quoted by Nathaniel Phillips rated Phillips as his man of the match after the West Ham game current pundit. Peter Crouch. Negative. Liverpool legend? I wouldn't say Crouch was a Liverpool legend. I think that's a bit played in a,
0: played in the Champions League final.
1: Bit a bit of a stretch to call him a Liverpool legend. I would say <laughs> Champions
0: League final. <laughs> um, I I don't appreciate you insulting Peter Crouch like that. Uh,
1: More of ooh. a Stoke legend than a Liverpool legend, I would say, Peter Crouch, and a Tottenham legend.
0: Um, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, um, an England international legend. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Um Liverpool legend, current pundit. Was it uh man also a defender? So obviously was it
1: Carragher? It was Jamie Carragher. Yep. Yeah. Well done. Well done. All right. Last question for you then, Zach. As always, let's bolster your Welsh language skills here. This Welsh word for you, I'll spell it, is P Y S G-O-D Y-N. It's P Y S G-O-D-Y-N.
0: P y s g r d y
1: n. Pischkeden.
0: <laughs> now it sounds almost like, sounds almost like Swedish. Yeah, Pischkeden, Pischkeden. You're getting, you're,
1: you're getting close. It's Piscardin.
0: Piscardin. Okay. Yep. And it means fish all right nice <laughs> <laughs> totally random
1: totally random just really enjoy the word <laughs> yeah
0: okay that's good um all right cool nice um well unfortunately i don't have a liverpool youngster themed 10 and 90 today that's on me um i didn't get the memo i suppose but <laughs> i will uh, I'll, I'll ask you a number of random questions that don't seem to have any sort of continuity to them fantastic so Question number one, Adam, of the 20 uh, teams in the Premier League, currently there are still 20 teams in the Premier League, um, name the three clubs who are undefeated in their last five matches. I may have mentioned one of them today.
1: Uh, I can tell you 100% that one of them is Southampton. Very good.
0: They're actually the only club to have four wins in their last five matches.
1: Yeah. That's tough.
0: Chelsea? Chelsea is number two. Nice.
1: I'm trying to think how many games it was since Liverpool played Villa. Has it been four games or five games? I'll go with Liverpool.
0: No, it was it was four games ago that they played Villa. Tottenham Hotspur okay. is is the third side. Not mm-hmm. lost in their last four matches. Or five yep. matches, but Southampton the most points from their last five matches, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um okay. Question number two, Adam. When was the last time that Manchester United finished outside of the top half? And who was their top scorer that season? I'll give you Oh my god. I'll give you, I'll give you, two se- I'll give you three seasons of on either side. Last time Manchester United finished outside
1: the top half. It's gotta be early days of Fergie. So finish the season outside the top half, correct? Oh, Lord. Uh, let's go with the 80s, and we'll go for 85.
0: Ooh, Just outside of that range I gave you, it's the 1989-90 season. Oof, close, close. And who was their top scorer?
1: Oh, my God, I have no idea. I can even hazard a guess at that.
0: He was actually their top scorer for a number of seasons in the, in the late 80s.
1: It's too late He's for man- Too late He's for now. Manager
0: is now a manager. I don't know if he currently manages the side, but um, in the Premier League, he does not. I know for a fact he currently does not manage the side in the Premier League.
1: Okay, I I got. Uh, do you want to give me one more clue? I've got I got nothing on that one. Um,
0: he. I would put him in the same category of boring English managers that Tony Pulis falls under. <laughs> Boring old English manager.
1: <laughs> Why'd you gotta have a dig at Tony Pulis?
0: <laughs> because he is exactly that. He is a boring old
1: English manager. Possibly the next Welsh manager too. Um, no, I got nothing. Welsh? Go, go ahead. Tony Pulis is Welsh, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so not English managers, British managers. Um, Mark Hughes. Oh yeah, why?
1: How did I not get that? Mark Hughes. That's terrible. Mark Hughes terrible. was a
0: top scorer, I think, like six seasons in uh, a row in the eighties.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm pissed now. I should have got that one for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. there you go. Um, okay. Uh, question number three. What is the highest amount of goals that Newcastle has scored in a 38-game Premier League season? And what year do you think that was?
1: It's clearly during the Keegan days. I'm gonna go for the season first. I'll say 96.
0: Significantly later than that.
1: Oh, really? 2002. Sig-
0: 2001, 2002. Okay. The year we finished a fourth.
1: I believe. So probably not Keegan then. Maybe that was Robson. Um. Let's go with oh, let's go crazy. 75 goals.
0: Ooh, 74 goals. Very nice good job. <laughs> All yeah, right, that was that was good. Yeah. Can you imagine Newcastle scoring seventy-four goals now? <laughs>
1: hey, we've scored more goals than City and Arsenal so far this season. So. That's
0: true. That's true. Um, could be
1: the year. Could be the year, Zach.
0: righty. Question number four: uh, What is the most amount of Portuguese players that have been in a Wolves starting eleven this season?
1: <laughs> like and could you name press. all? Se- could you name all of them? Could I name all seven? So I'm going to go for seven. Uh, Not seven. No, six. Six. Okay. Sound like a started with an S, so that yeah, I kind of kind of slipped there.
0: Slept there a little bit, yeah.
1: Uh, Rui Patricio, correct. Moutinho. Ooh,
0: was Jean Moutinho in that starting lineup? I believe so. And
1: yes, correct. Pedro Neto. Yes. Daniel Pudence. Nope. Hmm. Oh, he's definitely spent. He's definitely Portuguese, so he wasn't in the starting lineup. Uh, here's where I'm probably gonna start struggling. I'm gonna have to give me some clues.
0: Um, one of them shares a last name with a player who currently plays for Sevilla.
1: You're overstating my knowledge of Sevilla's current players. Uh, nope.
0: Ruben Neves,
1: oh okay,
0: or a similar last name, not the same last name, Navas Neves. Um, and then, uh, the one of them you you probably would not get, Ruben Vinagre. He's only played like twice for Wolves this season. Uh, mm-hmm. The last one played for Barcelona last season. Oh, wait, is it the youngster? Is it the youngster? Uh, no.
1: I was thinking of the young, they paid like 30, 40 million for a youngster that came in who they're saying is going to be the next Joe Felix. I can't remember his name. Okay, go ahead. You got me.
0: Nelson Semedo.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good question.
0: And I think well, the, the one you're talking about is uh, Fabio Silva. Is
1: that's who I was thinking guy. of. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: And he looks almost exactly like uh, um, Joe Felix. Felix as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good one. Cool. Um, okay, nice job. Uh, question number five is, which team outside the top three has scored the least amount of goals this season? Has or, excuse scored? Me, outside, outside the bottom three. Outside the bottom four, excuse me, because Fulham is the fourth bottom and they would be the one. Uh, tie between two clubs
1: Arsenal and Man City
0: nope
1: so it's less than eight
0: no it is it is eight they've both scored nine
1: you sure yes I'm positive okay Okay. all right you're right I have no idea Uh, let's let's take a random guess hmm It's not Brighton because I feel like Brighton have actually bagged quite a a few more than that. Correct. Oh, Man United.
0: No, Man United also on nine. Crystal Uh, Palace.
1: Okay.
0: And of all teams, Wolves have only scored eight goals in seven matches this season and they sit in six in the table.
1: But they've had tight defense as well, right?
0: Exactly. Have only given up, eight, or have only conceded eight goals, which is uh, second best defense in the Premier League.
1: Nice. Good question. I like it.
0: Yeah. There you go. righty, Adam. Um, matches you're excited for this upcoming weekend? What? A, give me, give me one or two. What are your top matches?
1: I think the game of the weekend, obviously, is City versus Liverpool on Sunday. Um, underwhelming start to the season for City. Liverpool weakened slightly defensively with Virgil van Dijk out. We're probably expecting goals based on the history of our expectations so far this season. We probably won't get many. I'm saying probably a 1-0 City win with a Sterling goal.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. Any others that pop out to you, or is that really the one marquee?
1: Uh, I would say Leicester versus Wolves will be an interesting one. That's also Mm -hmm. on Sunday. Top half of the table, two defensively solid teams. Wolves have started the season stronger than in previous years. Um, they have no European football to distract them like Leicester do this season. So I could see Wolves maybe maybe nicking this one.
0: Yeah, Wolves-Leicester technically the best matchup of the weekend based on current place in the Premier League table. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, based on our predictions this year, it'll be – It'll be Brighton-Burnley will be a 5-4 victory for, for Brighton, and that'll be the <laughs> highest-scoring match. Uh, I think Newcastle can make one against Southampton. I'm excited for that match. Um, with Ings out, we'll see if they can kind of lock it down and hopefully not give up set pieces. Because yeah. even, even without James Ward-Press, we are dreadful in defending set pieces, it seems like.
1: Yeah, I agree. That was actually my third game as well. Statistic wise, Newcastle have actually won their last three games against Southampton in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, Southampton now unbeaten in five, as you mentioned. Thirteen points from fifteen remains to be seen if Danny Ings plays. Probably not. I would I would hazard a be guess. That, but yeah, yeah. Um, surprised if they would even risk him in in that environment against a toothless Newcastle side. So, uh, but that's a Friday game. Actually, we've got two Friday games, and that's the later one. So I'm off this Friday. I'm going to watch it.
0: There you go. Nice. I didn't realize that was on Friday. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yep. Tight, 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 tight. I'll be, I'll be flying at that time. So we'll see.
1: We'll see if I can catch it. Newcastle hopefully will be flying as well as I.
0: All
1: right. And that does it for the
0: 55th episode (laughs) of the false nines. Great, great finishing line there, Adam. Uh, Yeah. We'll, we'll see, see what happens in the weekend. See if Newcastle can push to the top half. Um, And hopefully it's a good one.
1: Yep. Until next time, Zach.
0: Hey. Fuddy.